0: And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer.
1: And this is The Travel Show, in which we talk about vacations. Welcome, I'm Arthur Fromer.
0: And I'm Pauline Fromer.
1: And in the time ahead, we're going to be talking about travel.
0: But we're going to be doing it in a different time, because it's mid-April when we're taping, and it's a time nobody is traveling. But... That doesn't mean you can't dream about travel and dream about travel in a way that brings it to life. And you can do that by visiting us at Fromers.com. That's F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S.com. That's our website. It's a labor of love. I'm writing articles for it. Our crack staff is writing articles and they deal with cuisine. We have amazing cocktail and dessert recipes from top hotels around the world. Uh, We have info on refunds. If you're stuck paying for a trip you won't be able to take, we can help you. Uh, we're talking about history and future travels. So please do visit us on fromers.com. We're, we're really proud of what we've done there. Also follow us on social media. We have a really fun group of streams on Pinterest, on Facebook, and on Twitter. Uh, just look for the name fromers and then you'll find us. Uh, So since things are so crazy right now, we're shaking up the way we do this travel show a bit. And instead of having a variety of different guests, we're concentrating on the people who have brought travel to life in the past and will do so in the future. Great travelers, great travel writers, and our next guest definitely falls into that category. She is Patricia Schultz. She is the author of that wonderful book, A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. Welcome back to The Travel Show, Patricia.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure to see speaking with you and Arthur, Mr. Frommer. Thank you very much. It's a real uh, pleasure and an honor. And it's exciting, I think, to speak about travel now um, as much as ever, because we're all chomping at the bit. We're all excited to go. We all understand that it may be some time, but that doesn't mean that we can't speak and plan and uh, and dream. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully it won't be too much time. It's That's
0: unclear as we're sitting here in mid-April, but maybe by the time you hear that, this uh, broadcast, that'll be more clear. You can pick up a Fromer guide. You can pick up Patricia's terrific book, A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. So I, I know that this is the question you always get, but we have to start with it. How did A Thousand Places to See Before You Die, how was that concept born?
1: Well, speaking of Frommer's Travel Guides, (laughs) it was for me my grounding. It was my university, really. It was my first official um, and long-lasting. It was many years that I I wrote for the Travel Guides. I was living in Italy for many, many years and kind of fancied myself to be a specialist on all things Italian, and somehow the connection was made. I, I can't tell you how thrilled I was to join the Frommer's family. Um, And I started with, you know, writing one book and then it was renewed and it was many years later and I was still part of that. Um, It was a very exciting chapter in my life. I I came to understand a lot more about the destination that I was writing about, Italy. Oh, absolutely. um, Yeah, so and then one thing led to another. I was writing then for magazines and whatnot, but I do trace much of my travel um experience as a travel writer back to those years I worked for for bromer <laughs> It is our common denominator clearly. <laughs> Absolutely. But we cannot take
0: responsibility for a thousand places to see before you die. I wish we'd had that idea. It's it's one of the best selling travel books of all time. So congratulations Patricia. Thank you. Thank uh, you very,
1: very much. But how did that idea come about? Well, you know, when I was living in Italy, it became my base. It's um, very geographically... an opportune place to then kind of, uh, you know, spread your net and see a lot of the Mediterranean. And then I ventured into Northern Europe and from there also to head South across the Mediterranean to Northern Africa and then into the Middle East. So I did cover quite a great swath of the globe during those years that I lived in Italy. And then, you know, the, the more I traveled, the more I understood that there's just so much to see. And so in my head I was gathering this collection being the, the travel writer for farmers and understanding what would go into a book, Um, the likes of a a world or a global guide. It's quite daunting. But, you know, I was collecting favorite places and, you know, places that just had blown me away. And I was very lucky to hook up with um, a publishing company that you're familiar with, Workman. And we were both on the same page, so to say, in that we both thought this was a phenomenal idea, an incredible undertaking for one person. Um, It took me eight years. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I know. I know. (laughs) But, you know, that that wonderful saying, when you do something you love, you'll you'll never work a day in your life. Well, I don't know if that's particularly true, but you'll always love what you'll do. And you'll always get out of bed with the same enthusiasm and the same almost excitement, really, because it was a real challenge for me, but one I felt I was ready for. And so eight years later, there you go. But
0: (laughs) even in eight years, it's not possible to travel to a thousand places, is it? Were there some, some in the books that you had to research and then put on your own bucket list for later?
1: Oh, for sure. And then all of the places I had traveled to prior to that, because I had done a fair share of traveling before I even started 1000 places, I didn't have the luxury to go back and make sure they were still as wonderful as I had remembered them to be. But they were well vetted, and I researched them. And I spoke to other people networking, you know, in my my, um, circle of uh, travel writing friends to see uh, if they still belonged in the book. In fact, they did. And so that was my foundation for places I had already seen. And yes, there were about 20% of those 1,000 places I had not yet been to, but you kind of know that um, some places never disappoint, and um, since it came out, it has been updated regularly you know um, how necessary that is in the world of travel guides and um, places I hadn't seen when the original book went to press I have since seen for the most part so um, but you know the more you travel Pauline you know this the more you understand that there are places you haven't even heard of (laughs)
0: until you get there. (laughs) Right have any places dropped out since the first edition of the book?
1: Well, you know, I, I like to think that it was, you know, again, all of my training and my years with Fromers that you really have a gut feeling for the places that are noteworthy, that are, you know, are going to be around, that will never lose their, their, um, specialness or their integrity. So I didn't. I I tried to veer away from the kind of flash in the pan places that, you know, are here today and gone tomorrow and of of interest today and maybe not so much next year. So things did get rewritten and maybe they were cut back in attention or in ink or in space, you know, et cetera. But for the most part, except for those that have closed down, that have burned down, that have changed management, that are not so You know, wonderful anymore. But it's it's quite a challenge to keep up with a thousand places. Yeah, but I'm doing my best.
0: (laughs) We're speaking with Patricia Schultz, who is the author of A Thousand Places to See Before You Die, and recently you guys published the deluxe edition of that book, which is a massive coffee table book with gorgeous photos from all around the world. Did
1: having the photos there change the way you wrote it at all? Changed the way I, sorry, wrote it. Um, no, well, they're the same one thousand places, and the um, kind of sometimes meaty captions that accompany each, so you know what you're looking at, were more or less pulled directly from the book, but you know, massaged and updated, etc. Uh, it did, you know, rekindle in me my fascination with you know places that. Um, I hadn't been to maybe in a few years, and you're reminded all over again of just how uh, beautiful they are and how, you know, sometimes mind-blowing, astonishing, um, because, you know, one photo is worth a thousand words, and so um, it's it's a wonderful visual reminder of, you know, the wonders of the world that don't need to be these big you know grand canyon and taj mahal kind of places but sometimes very modest or little known or little visited mm. can be what's, you know every
0: what's a, every, what's an example of an intimate little known place that that's in the book
1: well, you know, there's a lot of small towns. Whenever I go to large capital cities, I always make it a um, a, a promise to myself to spend at least one day doing a day trip. And so, um, you know, Bruges. Everyone knows Bruges outside of the capital of Brussels, and there are other Belgian cities as well that are even less known or less visited, I should right. say, such sure. as Ghent or Antwerp. Bruges always gets all of the traffic, all of the people, but it deserves it. And you know, in Italy, all of those wonderful hill towns. Um, there are countless ones. I think you could rent a car and just get gloriously lost and have you know, the time of your life driving through uh, Umbria and Tuscany and uh, Lazio, where, of course, the capital city is Rome. And um, in Tunis, I love uh, Tunisia. That was one of the first times I kind of ventured into northern Africa. Mm. Uh, There are small towns like Sidi Bou Saïd, which are a delight. They're gems. They're small. They're places where the local people go on a weekend afternoon for, you know, tea and a view of the Mediterranean. So um, it doesn't take much to stumble upon these smaller places. Smaller I think gems, just, yeah. Yeah, you just need to get out and go. We have to take a quick break. Uh, but for anybody
0: tuning in late, we are talking with Patricia Schultz. She is the author of uh, The Thousand Places to See Before You Die. Don't turn that dial. We'll hear about some specific places next. Welcome back to the Frommer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Frommer here with my dad, Arthur Frommer. And on the line, we have Patricia Schultz, the author of A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. Uh, Patricia, before the lockdown happened, before it became a world where we couldn't travel, where was your
1: last trip You know, that's always such a great question because your last trip, one's last trip is always the one that, you know, is still most vibrant in your mind where you can still remember people's names and the name of the restaurant where you had the meal of your life and, you know, the smells and the sights. And I was just in Laos or Laos, um, pronounced by many, in Southeast Asia, an area, a region of the world that I just so love. Since I first visited, the first of those countries I visited was Thailand, and that was many, many decades ago, and it fascinated me and continues to do so. So this was February when already everyone in Asia was wearing their masks, not just Mm. in the airports, but, you know, in the streets. But Laos to this day, as we speak, has had next to no cases or They're testing far heavily than most other countries. But even in that moment, it was especially safe. It felt that way and it continues to be that way. It's a small country. Um, it's landlocked between Thailand to the west and Vietnam to the east. So it has no coastline, but it has the Mekong River. Huh. And that is the lifeblood, not just of Laos, but of all of Southeast Asia. Yeah. So um, it exceeded all of my, it was just so. So lovely and beautiful, and the people are so nice, and the food is everything I remembered from Vietnam and Thailand kind of merged and melded together to be fresh and really uh, not as spicy, which I loved. Oh. <laughs> loved it. I, you know, did not have to. Um, you know, fall off my chair with some of those chilies. But um, fresh and safe, you know, tasty and um, served by some of the nicest people anywhere. And the countryside is spectacular. It's so dramatic, the mountains. And we sailed for a few days on the Mekong. So that's been a lifelong do they do, uh, dream of mine. Was
0: that river uh, a river cruise boat? Or is that like the ones you have like in Ha Long Bay in Vietnam? Where yeah, it's they can. you glamorous? can go.
1: The, the um, We flew into northern Thailand to Chiang Rai, uh-huh. and um, that is where the Mekong flows from China through northern Thailand. There are many yeah. areas of the Mekong. Oh. so I was go going ahead. to say yeah. there are many areas of the Mekong that just do not support the larger ships. But when you hear about these one week and 10 day Mekong cruises, they're almost always in. Cambodia and in Thailand, with a few days built on land in the beginning and at the end to create a longer itinerary. We did a more short version thing and a more local thing. There are various ways you can experience the Mekong. I would like to go back and do something more. Um, There are a number of um, American uh, cruise, river cruise lines, like Avalon, right. which offers these wonderful Mekong cruises. Sure. Yeah. Well, for
0: for anybody tuning in late, we're speaking with Patricia Schultz. She is the author of A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. And for somebody who hasn't been to that area of the country or the, the world, uh, it's a place where you visit temples, where you see rice paddies, where you see ancient ruins, I would assume I have never been to Laos, so I don't actually know what you see and do there.
1: I think you hit it on the head, you must have been in another lifetime, (laughs) because it is very similar to all of those other uh, neighboring countries such as Myanmar and Thailand and and Cambodia. There are magnificent ruins and all of this dates back to the time, a lot of it dates back to the time of Angkor Wat and the same civilizations and it's, um, you know, they all to some degree share a similar heritage, um, but yet with its own very Laotian character. Um, and its own um, scenery and and topography and getting quite a long stretch of the Mekong, unlike some of the other countries. There are six countries through which the Mekong flows. And and, uh, the Laos, I think, has its fair share of its beauty. Um, How
0: deep is the language barrier? Because it's not a a country that you hear people going to. I,
1: I would think this is a
0: place for real adventurers. Am I wrong?
1: Um, yes and no. Adventures, yes, and that, you know, who else at the dinner table can chime in and say, oh, I've been there. <laughs> but it is so safe. And its reputation of being an extremely welcoming country had always encouraged me to go, even though I knew not that much about it. And its numbers are growing, however, because Luang Prabang in the north Ventien is the official capital in the south, but Luang Prabang is um, really kind of growing in people's recognition of these special places that need to be seen in Southeast Asia. And this one in particular in in the northern part of Laos is just a real destination for expats who are living there, especially French and European, because it was part of Indochine. And so there's a lot of colonial architecture and and still ways and customs. Um, A lot of people in the tourism world, and they would love to have more tourism, speak a little bit of English. But, you know, a smile goes a long way. And they're they're so accommodating and gracious. And, uh, you know, you find that, I think, all throughout Asia. They're very welcoming and very hospitable.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, nowadays, we do have to think about safety, about health, Uh, It's good to hear that they kept the virus so under control. I believe the same is true for Vietnam. Uh, Very little uh, infections. And that was mostly through contact uh, tracing or what?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes. And with all of the Westerners coming in and bringing it with them, they closed the borders with China early on because Uh. all of these small countries border in their north with China, so Vietnam, um, Laos, not Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos, Uh, Thailand and Myanmar all border in their north with uh, China. But um, it's, you know, they're extremely clean countries. Uh, We always, you know, were able to eat street food and in small eateries and, you know, feel that we, there was a lot less risk than, you know, maybe back home. Right. Sure. um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful
0: to hear. We have been speaking with Patricia Schultz. She is the author of A Thousand Places to See Before You Die, Before You Turn That Dial know that we'll be back with more because Patricia has been pretty much everywhere and we're going to hear about other parts of the world from her when we return. This is the Fromer Travel Show, and I say that with hesitancy nowadays because we're taping this in mid April and we are all on board with not traveling right now. Uh, human lives and human safety have to come first, but that doesn't mean we can't dream of travel or plan our future travels for when the world opens up, and hopefully it will. Uh, on the line for the entire show today, we have Patricia Schultz, traveler par extraordinaire, travel writer par extraordinaire. She is the author of A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. And I think what this time in quarantine has done for many people is it's reacquainted them With the spiritual side of life, with slowing down, with looking at their lives in more holistic ways. Uh, And I know you had a travel experience that is basically based on those principles. You walked the Camino de Santiago fairly recently. Isn't
1: that correct, Patricia? Yes, um, it was last September and it was so special. That um, I was actually considering going back this summer, not to repeat it, because there are actually different, it's a network of pilgrimages that all ultimately uh, wind up in Santiago de Compostela in northern Spain, which is... For those
0: who don't know about the history, can you tell tell why people go there and how long people have been
1: doing this for? Yeah, over a thousand years. Can you imagine people wow. came from all over Europe? They say that St. Francis, that St. Louis, that El Cid traipsed for hundreds and hundreds of miles, sometimes by horseback, very often by foot, to go to Santiago, where for hundreds of years now, a magnificent cathedral stands. And it is the home to what many believe are the bones the relics of Saint James. Santiago is uh, um, the Spanish for Saint James. Our Mm -hmm. city in California in California, San Diego is St. James. This is, um, yeah, the old Spanish Santiago, which blends it together. Anyway, how St. James's relics wound up there (laughs) is still something of a question mark. But yet they're believed to be there. And since the ninth century, when it was discovered that they were there, and then centuries, a few centuries later, when the cathedral was built, it has become one of the most well-known and most trafficked by foot of pilgrims from all over the world. And it kind of picked up. It never went out of fashion, but it was, you know, securely fixed on the world's radar for the last 10 or 15 years. And now, well, until this year, of course, but up until and including last year, 300,000 people every year Wow. Do the Camino de Santiago. And this amazed me because I could walk for hours and not see anyone else on the Camino. Really? So it is, yeah, because it's 500 miles long. Wow. Yeah. and, you know, it's around a the clock, 12 months a year, although, of course, people choose to do it in the warm weather months. But it's a lot of space. You don't, you know, I thought, oh, there are going to be herds of us. There never were. Huh. And most people begin in the south of France, in Saint-Jean-de-Pied, go over the Pyrenees and walk what will be 500 miles We went a little bit (laughs) closer starting along that same route because there are many routes and picked it up in Léon. And Léon is a beautiful city. So we were happy to spend a day or Mm. two there before striking off. And we walked over 100 miles. And for a New York City girl (laughs) (laughs) who's used to jumping on the subway, right? But, and I'm no longer thirty. We know that. So, um, but you saw, you know, grandparents with their kids. you saw a lot of people biking, not a terrible number. Most people did choose to walk. And it was a very, very special experience to walk,
0: you know, whether, I- I have a friend who uh, her name is Sumana. She's actually of Hindu descent and she decided to do it. So she wasn't doing it for religious purposes. But it's funny that you were talking about how you didn't see people. She felt that the real thrill of it was meeting other pilgrims Uh, from all over the world and talking Uh, with them.
1: Well, in fact, of course you do. I don't mean that you can walk for days at a time, but if you chose to walk by yourself, and many people walk with a friend or a small group, you know, people keep catching up with each other along the way. Um, along the way, Camino means way. The way is also the name of a, of a movie about mm-hmm. 10 years ago that really um, familiarized many people with the existence of this pilgrimage. But um, And you all wind up often at the same albergues, which are the hospice hostels where the pilgrims right. over centuries stay, or um, you make it a point, you know, I'll meet you down the road at the next cafe, sit and have a cafe con leche and wait for me. Um, but if you choose to be alone, just, you know, to drink in the countryside and to be alone with your thoughts and for reflection and, you know, inner reflection, you can do that. And it is what many people look forward to. But I also like your friend. I mean, there are people from all over the world. First, you'd hear Hebrew spoken, and then you'd hear Spanish and French and Dutch and then you'd hear a New York accent <laughs> huh. yeah. and you know people literally come from all corners
0: yeah no it's it's supposed to be a very special experience. We're speaking with Patricia Schultz, the author of a Thousand Places to See before You Die. We have a, about a minute before our next commercial break. Tell us about tell us your thoughts on Italy right now. I know you'd lived there yeah. for many years. should people yeah go back? and I think what, you, what what are your thoughts?
1: Um, I think that you know Italy um, had just celebrated its well I'm sorry Rome just celebrated its two thousand seven hundred and seventy third birthday. <laughs> <laughs> So Italy's been around for a while, and it has been fascinating people and offering its charms and treasures for millennia. So will it bounce back? Absolutely. I think um, regarding this rhetorical question and all questions regarding travel, regardless of where, is the question of when, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, if you're not in a rush to get back to Italy and many people are because they've discovered, you know, they've got to see it again. It's one of the most revisited countries anywhere. Um, You know, just take your time, see what the experts are saying, where, you know, what borders are open. We have to take another quick
0: break. We'll be right back. For listening to the Fromer Travel Show I'm Pauline Fromer Here with my father Arthur Fromer And on the phone We're all sheltering in place Because it's mid-April When we're taping this Is Patricia Schultz She is the author of A Thousand Places to See Before You Die We were just talking about Italy Which may be a journey That one will have to take A little farther in the future It really all depends on When borders will reopen We don't know that now In in mid-April but I'm hoping that travel within the United States will come back more quickly. Uh, what is one of
1: your favorite places to go before you die in the United States? Well, we're all sitting in one of them. <laughs> my my apartment is not. Yeah, my apartment is not all that far from. Um, Times Square, once the crossroads of the world and soon to be again, Hopefully. the crossroads of the world. And it also means we're an easy drive from the northeast to New England. I so love that area. But, you know, Alaska is pretty remarkable. It's always hard for me to believe that Alaska and Hawaii being you know geographically removed or even part of our magnificent country. Yeah. But I do have a soft spot as well for the southwest. Have you been mm-hmm. to the Four Corners area? I have not, actually. Oh, Oh, so it needs to move up your list to the (laughs) tippity-top. Why? Why? Well, you know, it's, it's, well, first of all, I must have slept through early American history uh, class when, if it is even taught, I don't remember even signing up for that class in the grade schools it should be because our early American history with all of our native and indigenous people um, is still very alive. And many Mm. of those corners are the states that make up the four corners, and they are um, Utah, Colorado, Arizona and New Mexico. So there are a lot of these pueblos where people remarkably still live very Mm. simply. as they did centuries ago. And of course, this is the area where you also find Monument Valley, which Mm. has been photographed, I can't tell you how often and was the backdrop for all of those John Wayne movies. Years ago,
0: I I was supposed to go there. I was uh, on a trip to Arches National Park, and we were going to go there next. And then a dear friend passed away, and we had to fly back for the funeral. So I've always wanted to go.
1: And it's it's as magnificent as you see in all of those car commercials, <laughs> and <laughs> old John it, Wayne westerns. Yeah, it's an, actually not a national park because there are many many national parks in that area. You talked about Utah and the Arches. Utah has the Mighty Five. Utah has five national parks, hmm. each one more beautiful than the next. So or the prior one. So you that's the perfect place for the road trip where you know whether it's just you with the dog in the back seat or your family or three generations, it's a great place to do a road trip in America through Utah Uh, and through Colorado because of um, the Rockies and all of those ski resort towns in the summer with their festivals are just as much fun. I'm not much of a skier, um, but I appreciate that it is some of the best skiing. But um, Flagstaff in Arizona is the launching Town for the Grand Canyon. It's also the general area where you find Monument Valley that I was just referring to, which is not one of these magnificent parks. We now have over 60 in America. That's unlike any other country in the world that I know of. But Monument Valley is actually, much of it, a Navajo tribal park that is set aside for them to live, you know, a fraction of land that they, you know, originally called home. But it is some of the most topographically and scenically just breathtaking countryside that is to be found in the Southwest, I think. Because of and, the wind-carved buttes that you see? Yes. yes. Yeah. Erosion over time has just left these, it's a valley, so there are areas that are just flat, but with the red rock that that area is famous for. And then these, you know, eroded spires and peaks and boots, and, and um, it's just like a postcard, really. And there's only one real road that runs through it. And if you want to go off road hmm. in Monument Valley, you need to go in the company of a Navajo guide. Oh, so wow. how wonderful is that? Because, yeah. yeah, you learn things that, you know, are worth 10 years back at school. And it's great <laughs> for the kids also, I think. It's it's great for really any American who has a pride in their country and wants to learn more and just if nothing else wants to see I think what is one of the most beautiful, naturally beautiful corners of our country. Now the Four Corners is called the Four Corners because four states hit
0: one another in one place, yeah. right?
1: Yes, and there's actually a plaque where if you don't mind having your photo taken by people in your family in a very compromising position, you can have each of your two feet and your two hands in four different states because (laughs) they literally come together and they are Utah, Colorado, Arizona, and New Mexico, which to many, for example, me, New Yorkers, think that, oh, they're all the same and they're not at all by a far stretch. They each have a very different history and a different um, culture in in the food, that Southwestern food you can find throughout. But it's, I think, especially good in New Mexico.
0: Absolutely. We have to take a final break for this hour, but we'll be back with our final segment. So don't turn that down. You're listening to the Frommer Travel Show. We're taping it, as I said earlier, in mid-April, a time when nobody is traveling. So I guess my last question for you, uh, uh, Patricia, and for anybody tuning in late, we're talking to uh, Patricia Schultz, author of 1,000 Places to See Before You Die, is before they die. Why is the activity of travel uh, an important one?
1: Well um for someone who is the author of a book called 1000 places to See, <laughs> yes. I think I think you know whatever it is in your life that brings you great joy and satisfaction and and happiness and what you look forward to the next time you have a free moment or a free dollar or you know what um inspires you. And in my case, it has always been travel. But let's say, you know, it's painting or let's say it's, you know, cooking or crocheting. We each have our different passions. Sure. I've never traveled to anybody who um, felt that travel as much or as little as that they have done or hoped to do was not always, you know, one of the the great things in their life when they retired, when the kids were gone, when they had enough money. People have always dreamt about traveling and, you know, just leaving the front door and leaving behind you all the same old, same old and seeing a corner of the world, you know, whether it's the Four Corners or, um, you know, Africa. I know that you were just in Tanzania. There, yeah. there are such wonders of the world and you just can't possibly understand the how magnificent they can be until you're there in the three dimensional and you know you were talking about people with different passions for cooking for
0: doing textile arts for painting when you travel it's a wonderful time to indulge those interests and get a Isn't fresh eye true? for
1: them, yeah. Yes, and to see how much we all share, and at the same time, how painting and textiles and and um, art all can be incredibly different. Sometimes, you know, in Europe, you don't need to go to Mauritius or Zimbabwe. I mean, sometimes they're quite accessible to us, these other destinations. I just say, you know, do as much of travel as you can, as soon as you can, because There are never, ever any guarantees, and we're living through that recognition, you know, as we speak.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have been speaking with Patricia Schultz. She is the author of A 1000 Places to See Before You Die, which is now available in a gorgeous full color coffee book, which will take you out of your kitchen or your living room or wherever you're sheltering right now. We're, we're talking in mid April. Uh, We also, as I said earlier, welcome you at Fromers.com, which is our website. We're very, proud of it. There are articles there that also will transport you beyond and will help you get a refund or teach you a recipe from a different part of the globe. Uh, so we, we very much hope that you won't forget us at Fromers.com. Please visit us there. We have got lots of fun stuff. And to those who are traveling from the living room to the kitchen or maybe across the street, may we wish you a hearty bon voyage. Bon voyage. <laughs>